Guess who? And guess what? Footy Prime is launching a gin, and we're having a party to celebrate. Thursday, June 6th, join the whole FB crew for Footy Prime's one-night stand at Nickel Nine Distillery in Toronto. Come celebrate Footy Prime's one-ball gin with Nickel Nine Distillery mixologists on hand, Charmin's proper pies, meet and greet and photo ops with your favorite primers, and a live Atska's Almost Anything podcast. Footy Prime's one-night stand, June 6th at 7 p.m. till when we kick you out. Tickets at eventbrite.ca. Footy Prime, your almost daily footy fix. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're listening to Footy Prime, the podcast with Danny Dicchio, James Sharman, and Craig Forrest. Today, we welcome Aaron Mervon Ice Murphy. For myself, Jeff Cole, and director Dan Wong, Let's get lucky. Getting lucky is not something that's so conducive to uh, COVID-19, Jeff. That's very irresponsible of you. Hey, as long as it's virtual, it's okay. I guess so, yeah. Take take some shares out in Pornhub, because they're doing very well. And then uh, take your shares out in Tinder in a few months' time, because that will do very well then, I'm sure. Welcome to uh, Fight Prime, the podcast uh, episode, what is it, 26? 25. No, it's nice, nice. 26, isn't it? 26. Jeez, you're the producer for Christ's sakes. Somewhat of a producer. That's Dan Wong on keyboards. As you, Craig Forrest is here. Uh, Danny Dickio once again bails. Again, we're actually recording earlier today, really early, like 8.45 in the morning, which is ridiculous. Uh, that's for me, so I appreciate it, fellows. But once again, Dickio can't make it. Maybe next week he'll, he'll grace us with his presence. Um, we miss his bald, shiny head. Uh, we've seen a lot of... Uh, Shots and, and recaps on Twitter and social media from his, his first goal at TFC. And you realize just how shiny that head was all those years ago now. But we're missing you, Deech. Return when you get a chance. Uh, but as you heard there, I'm very happy to uh, welcome a, a very old friend of mine. In fact, he was my best man, believe it or not, many, many years ago. Um, my first and only marriage to date. Aaron Murphy from Ireland, near Dublin, Murph. Welcome to Footy Prime. This must be a bit of a career highlight for you. This is a career highlight for me, James. And as the best man in your wedding all those years ago, I'm not more, I don't know what I'm more surprised in that Tony hasn't left you or that it took 26 episodes for you to have me on. So I appreciate you having me on. It's, uh, it's almost two o'clock here. So I, I probably could think about going to the pub if the pubs weren't uh, weren't closed uh, globally but yeah different times here in ireland for sure buddy it's good to see you and you do look like i do remember you uh, early in the morning when we were going to university and stuff which is which is ghastly but it's good to see you regardless thank you very much mate i, hey, I, murph. I am ghastly hey murph what is going on in ireland as far as how do you get a good pint of guinness 
Oh my goodness. I was talking to my, my father-in-law and he was like, he's a Guinness guy. And he just said, look, it's, it's not the same when you have to buy uh, the cans and drink them at home. So we're all sort of in the same boat right now, wishing that there was some way to, I joked with him and said, Oh, maybe we could get a lock-in down at the local. And he said, it's just not going to happen. And obviously that would be very irresponsible. But I was thinking the other day I would kill for a proper pint of Guinness and it's just not, uh, it's not on the cards right now. And you know, the funny thing is, uh, the pubs were closed the day before St. Patrick's Day here because of everything that's going on, obviously. And that's that's how serious it's been taken over here because for the government to say we've got to shut down on the biggest week of the year uh, is something else. And, and even at that point, we're like, this is unbelievable what's going on. So it's going to be many months, it seems, before we'll get a proper, a proper pint, Craig. Yeah, because, Murph, I mean, Ireland shut down pretty early compared to the rest of UK. They took it very seriously. Um, how, very, how is the very I mean, it's, uh, I think, uh, our Taoiseach, which is the prime minister, I guess, Leo Varecker, he took it, it seriously. He's a, a trained physician, a doctor himself, and he's actually gone back on the register to help out one day a week here. Um, so he took it very seriously. I think he looked at Italy and see how they maybe missed the boat. And he tried to speed things up here. We were probably a couple of weeks ahead of the UK on, on closing things down. But when they, I think it sent a shutter through us all. Uh, all jokes aside, when when the government came out and said on March 16th, all pubs must close effective immediately as of 6 p.m. this evening on the eve of St. Patrick's Day with, you know, tens of thousands of uh, of tourists over here who may be saved for the trip of a lifetime to spend St. Patrick's Day in Temple Bar or in Galway or wherever. And for them to shut the the, the shop, so to speak, on the eve of St. Patrick's Day, which Let's be honest. I mean, the tax dollars on every pint. I mean, you're talking the government missing out on millions and millions of euros on that decision. So when they made that decision, we knew it was very serious here in Ireland. You know, I've got to say, you know, Craig, um, for the first couple of weeks, there was a bit of that that novelty feel about this whole shutdown. You know, like, ah, yeah, a bit of time at home, you know, watch a bit of TV, you know, a bit of banter on, on social media. Well, well, for me, that's all gone now. I'm bored out of my skull. I'm done with this. I, I've run out of patience. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll do it as long as we can, but I, I'm not in a good place now. Where, where are you at? It's not great. <laughs> <laughs> it's not great. That's a T-shirt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not great. Yeah, that's about it. I mean, uh, everybody's in the same boat, but it's not a lot of fun, got to be honest. What's your day, Forrest? What's your day like? Um, I rarely put pants on. It's a, <laughs> wow, that's that hasn't changed. <laughs> are you wearing pants right now? I've known you for twenty years. No. You know, are you? No. So you you put the hat on? Oh, put I put the, the hat on. on. I had plans of getting up really early, having a shower, doing my hair, getting all ready. <laughs> Stand up right now. What? Stand up right now. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! There's the famous forest legs. <laughs> For those people listening, Craig is in his unders, black underwear. You know what? If anything that will drive our, our numbers on YouTube, it'll be that. You get to see Forest's package. <laughs> 26 episodes, 26 episodes, Jimmy, to get me on. I, I kind of wish we had waited for 27, but that, that's an, an image I might not. I might not be able to forget that image anytime soon. There, well, Craig. you know what? You know what, Murph? Uh, we used to realize these, these fellas are all um, currently childless. They have yes. kids, but they're not currently living with their kids. Yes, so they're all alone in this social isolation. 
You have two. I have one. I, I am horribly jealous of them. Yeah, I think, uh, well, my little fella, when we were doing a little bit of a test earlier, came on and said hello to Dan and told Dan that he's going to Liverpool uh, when we grow up. I mean, he's only five. But I'll make you happy, Jimmy. But yeah, they're, you know what? They miss school. They miss crash. They miss their friends and their cousins. And it's hard to, to explain to them what's going on. So yeah, I, I anyone who's in self-isolation and actually isolated, I do. Uh, uh, I I wish I could have a day like that. I wish I could be in Craig's apartment or in Dad's apartment for even a few hours because the kids <laughs> are climbing the walls. Hey, right, baby, it's a mess. It's a mess at Craig and my house right now. Yeah, my, 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 my kids right now. everywhere. My kid right now is so sick and tired of us. Like she would be rather be with anyone right now, like anyone. <laughs> You know, well, I can but, feel her pain. I've spent a lot of time with you over the years, Jimmy, and there were points where I thought I'd, I'd rather be with anyone, uh, anyone but you as well. So I feel for your daughter right now. Everyone's frozen. Hello? Yeah, there you are. Hear me. There okay. we go. Can you hear me? Can you hear me there? Everyone froze up my screen. Now you're good. We're good? Okay, yeah, yeah. She's just done. She's, she's miserable. So we should actually um, just let the audience know, Murph, why the hell he's in, in Dublin with this horrible bastardized accent even worse than mine at this point he's got new he's got irish in there a bit of english in there and obviously uh a little bit of trontonian as well has this is where we met many years ago so murph and i met at ryerson in like 1993 or something around there um he, he jettisoned to the uk when was that murph 12 years ago oh it's coming up on 14 i think jimmy really Jeez, yeah it's, nice. it's been a while yeah like uh i came over during the height of the celtic tiger i think Right. So yeah. he, he moved over there, and basically what Murph does is he covers and calls European ice hockey. I can say ice hockey because that's what it's called over there. So while I was doing um, the weird sports over here that no one watches, he's covering the weird sport over there that no one watches. What, what is European hockey? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing in life? I was going to ask you guys if we could use some of this clips for my, my marketing guys in my day job. I don't think they're going to want to hear that, and no one watches it. But, um, <laughs> There's probably a few, like in Sweden and places, right? Uh, well, yeah, we do. I do the SHL, uh, which is pretty incredible. The Champions Hockey League is, is incredible, especially when there's British representation. Belfast and Cardiff both were in the uh, the Champions Hockey League this year. I do the Elite Ice Hockey League, which is the, the British league. Um, and I do, well, I was supposed to be in Tokyo for the Olympics as a, as a side job. I've been to the last couple of winter Olympics. So, I mean, Dublin's as good a spot as any to, to cover those leagues. Um, I've got an Irish passport and a Canadian passport as well, obviously. So I've always wanted to live in Ireland and that's, that's where I find myself. And luckily the company that I work for doing all that hockey is based in Dublin. So Murphy's law uh, worked for me on that occasion. Um, but yeah, my, my main role is, is calling games and I, I do miss it because you think when you're doing it, that it's just on to the next one. You never really take a moment and go, Oh, well, that was a good game between Cardiff and Belfast or Sheffield and Nottingham or wherever. And then all of a sudden you're not doing it for a few weeks and you go, oh, I really miss uh, being in the booth. I miss being around the games. I miss being around the rink. So yeah, it's, uh, it's been a fun ride. I mean, I've done everything from Stanley Cups to Olympics, and sometimes I think that my favorite things is just doing those uh, local UK derbies. Like I mentioned, Sheffield Nottingham, that's a, that's a great – 8,000 people will, will pack into Sheffield Arena for that, if you can believe it, and it's probably a better uh, atmosphere than some American Hockey League games. So I've, uh, I've enjoyed doing that, and sometimes I pinch myself because, as you said, it's just weird. And, like, you pinched yourself uh, many moons ago, I'm sure – 
James, when you're doing like sports world, or you're doing those things and you're going like, how did, how did I get here from growing up in the UK to, to doing these things? And uh, it's been a lot of fun. And I hope, uh, I hope the break is shorter rather than longer. Uh, are, the, uh, are the UK hockey players uh, under pressure to take a pay cut? <laughs> I don't think he can take a pay cut much more than those poor guys. I mean, it's nowhere near the 30%. That's 30% that the Premier League players might be might be taking would probably be uh, a good budget for an entire uh, British Hockey League team. Um, I mean, the imports, the Canadian imports, there's lots of guys in the British League that have played in the National Hockey League or played in the KHL. And those guys would make pretty pretty good money, and they'd get a flat or an apartment and a car. But some of the local British guys would have uh, decent wages, but they would probably work in hockey schools in the summer and stuff like that. So those poor guys, I hope they're not being asked. Not to my knowledge. I haven't heard of anyone having to take a pay cut. Uh, I know the big concern for, for the teams in the EIHL was to get the imports out before the travel bans came in. So trying to get guys back to Canada and the U.S. And I, as far as I know, everyone got out. Um, and that was the real concern once they decided that we've got to cut this short. Is hockey in danger there? I mean, you hear about even the rugby league NRL being being in trouble. Uh, a lot of teams in the, the lower echelons of domestic football as well could be folding. Where, where is hockey right now? Is there, is there a danger some teams could uh, fold? Well, there's. I think that's a very real danger. I mean, over here we have what we call the arena teams. Sheffield has an 8,000-seat arena. Uh, Belfast has that beautiful facility. The SSE Arena in, in Northern Ireland is, I think, 6,000. So you've got the arena teams like that all the way down to the, I guess they call them the rink teams or the, the smaller facility teams. Like there's a team in Kirkcaldy, which is uh, the Fife Flyers. They've got a 2,000-seat facility that's... I mean, they're 75 years old, that club, and the facility hasn't changed much. So when there are bums in seats business and when you've got no bums in seats, there, there's a real problem there. Uh, Manchester be the same. They're not playing in the big arena in Manchester. They're out in the suburbs in Altrincham. So I think they've got a 2,100-seat rink, and, and they're in real trouble. Now, there's good people running those clubs. So that for now, I mean, if, if there's a season next year, I've been told that all 10 teams will be back. If this pushes on into, okay, we might not start till after Christmas next season or something wacky like that, then, yeah, very real possibility. And you mentioned rugby league. Uh, one of my weird jobs over here is in the first year of the, uh, the, uh, the Toronto Wolfpack. I was the, uh, the pitch side reporter with Dave Woods and, and, and those guys uh, doing it on TV here. So I, I love my rugby league. And I look at that and go, yeah, rugby league was in trouble um, even at that point when they came in at the first level. And big crowds came in in places like York and stuff like that. The Knights, because of the Wolfpack and the buzz that created. And a lot of people were against the Toronto Wolfpack. But that helped uh, Rugby League at the lower levels get through uh, a season or two there. So I hope I hope Rugby League teams don't fold because that is a fantastic part of the sporting culture in those cities. Sorry, Craig, I thought you were jumping in there. Yeah, it, it, it is strange. It's funny, when I when I grew up in England, I used to watch a lot of ice hockey. Medway Bears was the nearest team to me at the time uh, in Gillingham. I, don't, I have no idea if they're even around anymore. Uh, Murrayfield Racers, Durham Wasps, and it was nuts. I mean, they were small little arenas, but it was packed. They'd, they'd show on TV. A lot of former, not NHL players, perhaps, but a lot of Canadians playing over there had a very Canadian feel to it. Does it still? I mean, where, where, where are most players from? Yeah, there's a lot of good Canadian players. I think the top three or four guys in the league would be would be imports for sure. There's some very good British players. And if you look at what Team GB's done the last few years, I don't know if you guys are aware, um, they played in the top pool last year. They played against Canada, the U.S., 
Uh, and it came down to them. They had to beat France on the last day of the pool stage or the group stage to stay up. And they beat France in overtime. And France have been a perennial Kool-Aid nation. So if the World Championships in uh, Zurich and Lausanne hadn't been cancelled, Great Britain would have been in the top level again. So that'll give you an idea how the local talent has grown since the Medway beers and stuff like that. Uh, certainly Murrayfield racers are around, but they're not in the elite league. They're in a, in a different tier. Um, but yeah, I mean, you could get, you talk about some of the local derbies, uh, Dundee and, and Fife in Scotland, you'd have 2000 people in a 2000 seat facility going absolutely bananas for those games. Sheffield, Nottingham, Belfast, Cardiff has become a real, uh, grudge match. So yeah, the, the people that like it, like it a lot and unfortunately it still is a niche sport as, as we joke about but the people that like it are fanatical and we if we post anything on twitter or anything it just blows up if we show like i think the gb overtime winner last year that i got to call live on tv i think that's had over like one hundred fifty thousand views on twitter so there is people that love uh i still say hockey and that drives me nuts when i hear people say ice hockey but uh, I'm, I'm trying to impart that on people. And when I say hockey, they go like, what, like field hockey, summer hockey? I'm like, no, hockey. Yeah. But they're getting there. And like I said, people who love it, love it a lot. And I, I get, I can't, I, I, I'll tell you a good story. I was in uh, Glasgow and after a game where I called the Glasgow clan, I think it was the Cardiff Devils. I had said something like, well, Glasgow, you, you can't go 0 for 6 on the power play. You're not going to win many hockey games. You go 0 for 6 on the power play. And I was in a... Uh, uh, let's say a, a watering hole after the game. And I was challenged by a group of people who had heard that I had said that the Glasgow clan power play wasn't very good over six, which statistically speaking, I was very much correct, but they had had a few adult beverages and wanted to challenge me on that. And I had to pinch myself their charms because I'm going, I'm in Glasgow. Probably 10% of the population in Glasgow knows that they have a hockey team. And somehow I find the one quarter of this pub that has people that actually listen to the broadcast tonight. So, yeah, like people who like it, they will challenge you on it. And they are knowledgeable. Um, maybe not on that occasion because if you're all for six on the power play, it's pretty stinky. But, yeah, like they, they, they have some knowledgeable fans here. And when Great Britain did well at the World Championships last year, it was quite a ride, man. And there was... There was a thousand people from Great Britain had traveled to Kosice in Slovakia to be a part of that, including family and friends, of course, but just fans who turned that into their, their holiday, their family holiday. And it was it was special to see, especially when they beat France. Of course, they lost to Canada. Of course, they lost to the U.S. But those British players told me, imagine you're lining up against Patrick Kane, right? <laughs> you're, you're lining up against guys that make $8 million a year and you might make 18 grand or whatever. But the point is... Uh, there was nice moments there. And Hughes, who went first overall in New Jersey Devils, had two breakaways for Team USA against uh, Great Britain. And the goalkeeper of the Cardiff Devils, Ben Bounds, who started for, uh, for Great Britain in that game, stopped Jack Hughes twice. <laughs> Just a month before wow. the guy was first overall. So I, I think Ben Bounds has dined out on that a little while now, although I, I think he'd like the signing bonus or a percentage of the signing bonus Hughes got in New Jersey. But, I mean, those those are Jamaican Bob said cool runnings type moments, and I've been lucky to be a part of those. And sometimes I do go, like, what? Like, it's such a newfie thing. Like, if you wrote my job description down on paper, it would resemble yours when you started out in sports world and all that, and it's not even believable. So uh, I, I miss it, and I love it. But, yeah, I, I do think back to our days starting out in television together, Jimmy, and, and, the, and the, the path you took and how we used to joke with you that only you could find yourself in that role. And I guess, again, Murphy's Law, here I am over here doing the same thing. Well, you're the reason, right, that I got into business to begin with. Uh, Headline Sports started up, and uh, oh, Murphy yeah. got a job there, and he got me uh, an internship there. So if not for you... 
I wouldn't be able to grace the TV screens for so many So years. the Canadian public has me to blame for this. <laughs> yep. Yep. Thanks, wow. pal. You know what? I forgot I got you in there. And, I, and you yeah. know what? I was the best man at your wedding. And that was the best, uh, best man speech ever because I had to tear up the nice things I had written because you guys were heckling and being such jerks at your own wedding that I had to tell some home truths. I wish yeah. we had that recorded. That was before social media, Jimmy. No, no. I've got it on the DVD somewhere. But my, yeah, my auntie Christine has never been the same since. Thanks, pal. <laughs> Things you told her about me. Jesus Christ. Well, I could have, could have been a lot worse. That was the, that was the, uh, the scale. That was the PG-13 version. I just like this whole Jimmy thing. Jimmy Sharman, eh? Right? Yeah. I've got a whole era of my life where I'm called Jimmy or Jim. So a lot of my friends call me that, yeah. Wow. Don't squeeze the Sharman. Yeah, I've had that as well. Yeah, I've got no identity at all. You know, first time I saw you, you had, you had broken your ankle. Remember that at the quad at Ryerson, you had been, uh, you had been, we'd been playing tackle football, which is a great idea. None of us had ever played uh, football before, the American or Canadian football before. And every Sunday morning, after being out late on a Saturday night, and I mean really late, maybe until five or six, we would meet at ten a.m. at the quad at Ryerson yeah. to play football. And the first time I ever laid eyes on Charmin, he had long hair, much <laughs> like the facial hair you see now really greasy looking and he had he had a rugby an England rugby shirt on and someone had tackled him and I think you, you broke your ankle or fractured a bone in your foot and you were cursing with that accent I went who the hell is this guy and uh, I haven't been able to shake him since even though I moved over here is he better at football than rugby no no no, no worse I think hey, worse. I, I, I could tackle at least he understood it. rugby at least he understood rugby I still don't think he understands football there were fun times that's for sure um let me ask you another uh, hockey question the, the style of play there so over here obviously it's, it's become sanitized in many ways right it's really coming down to what it used to be is it still a bit old school there is it still extremely violent that's a good question no it's not to be honest I mean I think that we all know about concussions we all know about head trauma now I mean how could you not right and I mean, when I first started covering the, the, the British League, you probably have a fight a game. And I did uh, 17 or 18 broadcasts last year. I think I had two fights. We did 12, 12 national TV games from the EIHL before the postpartum, the cancellation of the season because of the virus. I think I had two fights in 12 games. They're gone are the days of the line brawls or the bench clearances, which I have seen in my time over here, but those are long gone. And I think long gone are the days of having a guy on every team that, that did that. And they were always great characters, right? Whether it was the NHL or junior hockey, and especially in the British League, some of the fan favorites were those guys that were, were tough. They were always the most approachable off the ice, almost the best guys with the fans and certainly with the media. But they made a living a tough way. Now, in the NHL, a guy like that can make a million dollars a year punching guys and getting punched over here, not so much. So it has faded. There are some tough, tough guys, but you got to be able to play now as the NHL. I mean, there's tough guys in the NHL, but they all want to play and they don't want to fight. And it's it's become that way over here. I think it's a global thing. I don't think I've had more than a, than a fight or two in the KHL seasons that I've done or the, S, well, the SHL. You never fight anyway, but... Yeah, it's changed, and there's a lot of trash talk, and there's a lot of stick work because of it. There's a lot of those high-sticking penalties and slashing penalties because as a lot of NHL insiders and, and experts will tell you, the, the rats start to run or the inmates start to run the asylum, and the guys who can chirp and stick you, they know that no one's going to come over the boards and give them a pummeling. So the game has become sanitized that way, and I don't know if it's a good thing because you do see the stick work and you do see those high-sticking penalties, and – there's a lot to be said for being afraid of, of, of putting your stick in or, or slew foot in a guy or knee in a guy because someone is going to 
bash your brains in. So I don't know what the lesser of two evils is, but it's definitely changed. And I don't know if that's for the better. Mm -hmm. Remember when Theo Fleury went over to Belfast, I think during the lockout, right? Uh, Belfast Giants, his first game, I think, wasn't it five goals in two fights? Yeah, he put a market on early. I, I can't remember. Now, I was my first, one of my first years over here, and I wasn't at that game in an official capacity. But I talked to a friend in Belfast, and he said, you got to see this because I, let's say they were playing Edinburgh. I think Edinburgh Capitals were still around at the time. The toughest guy in the league played there. I could be wrong about the team, but let's just use it as an example. And the guy said to Flurry on opening faceoff, "You're getting it tonight." And Flurry said, "Buddy, like I played in the NHL, you're 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 a pussy. You're you're nothing." And after Theo had scored a hat trick, this guy came and said something, and Flurry pummeled him. And this guy was six three and you know a, he- a heavyweight, and and Flurry threw down a marker and actually, I think he gave the guy a good rinse and. And then I think later in the game, there was like sort of a line thing and he got involved again and pulled the, the shirt over a guy's head. So he had the, the four or five goals and a, and a couple of wins. And I don't think anyone tried to fight him for the rest of the year because they went, wow, this, this guy's NHL tough, even though he's five foot five, he's, he's NHL tough. So we're, we're nothing compared to that. So yeah, he, he, he pounded a six foot three or six foot five guy in his first game in, in the British league. And that, that people left him alone after that, but he, he had a lot of problems with the referees over here. He used to lose the run of himself regularly. He could not believe how, how terrible the refereeing was. Of course, I mean, an NHL official at that time is full-time. He makes six figures. The, the referees over here were nowhere near that standard at the time, and it, it gets better every year. So does the style of play and the skill level over here. But Theo Fleury got tossed out of a lot of games, more so with problems with the referees rather than with other players. That's awesome. Um, you mentioned before, you know, how they're not making a lot of money over there compared to the rest of the pro athletes. And Craig, I'm sure you've seen the stories the last few days about Premier League players being called out by government officials to take a 30% wage cut. Um, United, I think United so far have said, yeah, we'll, we'll um, donate essentially 30% of our wages over the next month or so. There's meetings continuing with the Premier League and their teams. The teams want you know, guarantees where the money will go. They're not against it. But, Craig, it seems to me that it's an easy target, the Premier League footballer. And a lot of people are using this as an excuse to hammer these guys before they've even had a chance to answer the call. Mm. I mean, I agree uh, with many people as far as the players have to play their role. But that goes a long way. Um, I think it was the health uh, secretary, Matt Hancock, who called out Premier League players uh, that they should play a role. But that kind of distracts away from what they've done to deal with the problem in England, as well as the fact that they are an easy target. And what about bank executives, CEOs, billionaire owners, what are they doing to help the problem and help uh, solve it or, or help this thing move on in a positive manner? So the player is definitely an easy target. Um, it'll be interesting to see what actually happens. Uh, it's a sad case, but people have to remember, just like the hockey leagues over there, that the mass majority of football players and clubs and players don't make that great of money um, and can't afford uh, to take a, a big hit on their salaries in lower divisions. So those lower divisions need support from the top divisions and the billionaire owners and the money that's coming into the top end of the game is very top heavy. So it needs to be some sort of uh, agreement. But um, to be called up specifically, only the footballers um, is a little bit harsh. And I mean, I, I think they should do their role. And the, the biggest thing that I always said about, I had an interview with West Ham magazine, 
the other day is that players come and go. Um, that's consistent. Um, but the ones that are at the club, the fabric uh, of the actual clubs at all levels are the people that work there day in, day out. There's people at West Ham were there 10 years before I was there, and they're still working there. So they really are the ones that need to be supported, and I hope that each individual clubs do what they can to do that. Well, yeah, I think it's five clubs, right, including Liverpool, are actually going to be furloughing their, furloughing their, their staff, which is being criticised mightily. Yeah, Basically getting uh, you know help government handouts help pay for their staff, which I get. I mean, these these are extremely rich owners. Yeah, so and, and most of the footballers they come from class uh, background, yeah. so they're quite aware. Most of them about um, you know social issues, uh, players. So uh, it'll, again, it'll be interesting, uh, but uh, a lot of pressure put on these guys. Well, didn't Wayne Rooney come out and say after Matt Hancock said that and said, well, this is a distraction to the government's own failings because yeah. if someone came to me as an individual, this being Wayne Rooney, who could afford it, and said we need to buy X amount of ventilators and I knew that the money was actually going to go to that, I would say sign me up right now. But he said for some guy to call us out is distracting from the government's inability. Look, we joked off camera there were still there were still games going on in Liverpool and stuff, and Dublin was already shut down, and we're letting people travel from Madrid to to Liverpool, and and Boris Johnson was saying everyone should go out and enjoy the football and enjoy the pubs and enjoy the restaurants, and mm-hmm. we know what's happening there now with the with the death rate and the growing of this virus. So Wayne Rooney is absolutely right. Like I he he would he said I would happily donate some money. I can afford it, but I want to know where the money's going. And this is the government trying to distract from their own their own failings, which I believe there are many failings right now in that and you see Boris Johnson went to hospital last night on doctor's uh, advice so it's coming home to roost and uh, we wish him well and all that but I don't think footballers should be targeted at all you're right it should be the bank executives who make big bonuses it should be the billionaire owner Liverpool is trying to exploit a system that's set up to furlough people in small business to save that small business not the, the richest club is going to furlough. I mean, that, that all the nice goodwill built up by Klopp and all the family friendliness, that goes away when a billionaire owner in the U.S. is saying, well, we're going to take advantage of the system. I mean, it's disgusting, you're right, but at the same time, I'm watching social media and people are using this as their excuse to rip into that club. You know, of course. It's, it's been a great story for the last few months now. All the, you know, like you say, Klopp's feel good. Um, you know, the, the return to glory of this storied, storied sporting club. Um, but a lot of people that deep down hated that and it bugged them and it, you know, and now is a chance to hammer that club. So, you know what, you, you don't support the team for the ownership, you support the team for the crest. But I understand the frustrations there 100%. But it's not as easy as just, you know, give us 30% of your wages. You know, there's tax ramifications. And part of what the players are saying right now is, listen, you know, if, if we give you 200 million pounds, which is what I think 30% would be, you know, that's that's untaxable. Right, so you're losing that money. So let's let's do this the smart way right now. So it's so convoluted and complicated, but I'm sure they'll do the right thing in the end and give money. Who knows how long this thing is going to last? Right, it's not going to be forever. It's just going to be deferred money. Um, I don't know. This is economic issues which is well beyond my uh, my pay grade, so to speak. So I don't know. It, it's very very messy. It's very very sad, but I'm sure they'll do the right thing. But let's not target, you know rich athletes just yet um, they're doing their best. I was also wondering, you know, Trump jumped on a call with all the owners and all of the uh, commissioners of leagues and said, Hey, we want to, we want to bring this all back. Let's get these people in just like Trump does the smartest man in the white house. Um, 
what's going on in England? How are they approaching it? I know, obviously, there's a shutdown, but is it like are they challenging the owners to say, hey, let's move this into a a, a different, let's play one-on-one soccer somehow. Let's do. Yeah, I think uh, I mean it's a great point because just this weekend there were people out it was really nice weather in the UK and there were people in Richmond and places like that out sunbathing like it was a bank holiday weekend and I think Matt Hancock again said well people aren't following the rules uh if you're if you're not going to listen we're going to have a total like right now they're allowed to go out for exercise you're allowed to go out to the park and all that he's saying that it could get stricter if people don't adhere to the rules so I don't think they're anywhere near approaching uh, sports teams and saying how do we do this unless it would be behind closed doors or something but like right now I think the UK uh well Great Britain as a whole has a real problem with people not maybe taking it seriously um because even up until recently that you were allowed to go to the pub they're saying you shouldn't go to the pub but the pubs are still open it's almost like the government didn't want to make those hard decisions because they knew then they'd have to pay for certain things but for me i think you well trump wanted to have everyone back to normal by easter right so i mean the man is he's in his own puppet show and there's not much you can do about that but for me the uk ireland europe we're nowhere near being able to have those conversations because people are still going out to the park on a sunday afternoon because it's sunny and putting their blanket down and lying three feet away from a total stranger uh, just because it's a sunny day. So I think we're a long way away from anyone jumping on the phone with chairmen and commissioners and saying, how do we get the, the Premier League or the, or the rugby back? Uh, or the, like the Six Nations were the first, first group to take it seriously, right? Like it's just unprecedented and it's quite scary. But when people aren't taking it seriously, it just prolongs. If you do it now and you adhere to the rules, it'll be shorter in the long run. If people keep sort of breaking the rules, we'll be at this for a month of Sundays, unfortunately. Certainly the, the, the media landscape, economic landscape could well change out of this. You know, smaller leagues, a lot of teams folding, unfortunately. Uh, we're seeing DAZN withholding uh, their payments, you know, to certain leagues saying, listen, there's no games, we're not paying you. And, and I understand that, but how will that change things as well? So it's going to be a brave new world, I think, when, when we get out of this from a sporting standpoint. Maybe rights fees go down. Who knows? Are we, as, as, as a society, though, kind of getting used to the being in those sports, do you think? Is, is sports less important now, perhaps, or is it more important, do you think? It's interesting, well, isn't it? I mean, I, I think that it's a, it shows how important sports is as a release to, you know, to be entertained. The entertainment business will always be that way. Sports is the entertainment business. And I think people are really missing it. Uh, we took it for granted. We took a lot of things for granted, really. And uh, hopefully uh, a lot of things will change that way in the way we, the manner that we, uh, we, uh, we go after things and how we deal with different pandemics and things in the future because they're going to come. Oh, yeah, yeah. For, for me, for me, it's like I think sports will be even more important. Can you imagine like the Tokyo 2020 Olympics would have been spectacular, right? Every Olympic game seems to raise the bar in production value and just sort of presentation and the, the you know, the events themselves and the state of the art buildings. Can you imagine? Let's cross our fingers and hope it does happen in 2021. But can you imagine the viewership and the feel-good stories of Tokyo 2021 as a light at the end of the tunnel? I think, I think on our side of the pond, the first the first EIHL games. Let's let's hope it it happens in September. Those those games will be sold out 
without without any question there were people uh, begging for for tickets um off of friends or, can you sell me a ticket whatever uh, premier league can you imagine i mean you, you know old trafford stamford bridge you won't there will be no tickets available because that would be as craig just said it's the release what you would hope is that we all learn from this and we become more civilized, we become more kinder, we become more patient, and we, we come together quicker when there's these, if there is pandemics down the pipeline, which, as Craig said, it's, it's, it's inevitable. But I think sports will be even more important. And that's, I mean, I hope so, because that means I might still have a job, right? Because <laughs> as a sports broadcaster, it's pretty boring right now. As much as I love being on episode 26 and seeing uh, Craig in his underwear, I want to be back calling hockey games. So let's hope that, that we're back sooner rather than later. I think sports will be more important because we'll take it we won't take it for granted we will be so happy to be at a live event or a music gig or a restaurant you know there's going to be pubs and restaurants in ireland that never open again this is going to change the landscape of the service industry so anyone who does get open you would hope that people come out on that first night and 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 the the restaurants are sold out and all that Um, you may raise a good point jimmy i think that rights will have to come down or there will be those force majeure contracts where it's like, if this happens, well, we're not paying you or we're not even going to get into a situation where we have to argue that 75% of the season happens. So we'll give you 75% of what we owed you. I think uh, rights right now for something like the Premier League are so astronomical. And I've seen it. I worked at ESPN in London for years. ESPN lost the rights to BT Sport. BT Sport is fending off all sorts of challenges for new packages. I mean, the rights just keep going up, but as Craig said, you know, in, in, a, in a pandemic situation, and we've heard this could be a harbinger of things to come in our society as far as health health crisis go. I mean, will people be willing or broadcasters be willing to pay billions of dollars for something that might not happen or could be cut short? Well, I think that'll be for solicitors or lawyers to, to, to make uh, contracts that are watertight. But certainly I hope that uh, that sports comes back. And is that light at the end of the tunnel for people that do enjoy them? Or if you do enjoy music gigs, you get out and support your local artists. Because I saw something neat the other day and said, if you think that if poets and musicians and unpublished authors or whatever, people struggling within the arts, if you think that they're lazy or you think they're not successful, try try being in quarantine without books or music or, yeah. or poetry or whatever it is. you. So that's what we, as Craig said, we need to come back and be a little bit kinder, be a little bit more understanding and we all love to take the piss out of each other and we all love to wind each other up. But if you can be kind to someone like a restaurant owner or a small club that needs tickets sold, then that's what we have to do when we come on the other side of this. I'm still going to take the piss out of you at every opportunity. I hope so. I but hope we, so. Have to, we have to be kind. You don't need any kindness. Your life has been uh, pretty charmed. So we can take, take you down a peg. <laughs> but for those people that need our help, Craig Forrest, Dan Wong, Jeff Cole and I are going to go out and do our best. And your buddy, Danny Dickio, whenever he's back. Lean on these guys is what I do, you know, as simple as that. Uh, you know, let, let, the, let the free prime dollars roll in, eh, boys? <laughs> <laughs> and now a word from our sponsor. <laughs> this has been a word from our sponsor. <laughs> you haven't even got my invoice yet. You haven't even got my invoice yet, Jimmy, because this is prime time over here. I'll send you a pie. Sure. Like that. Um, what they've been doing on TSN and Sportsnet are replaying the Raptors last year. They're replaying 92 uh, World Championship for baseball, the World Series. I'm really interested to see how those numbers are, aren't you, fellas? And what are they doing in the U.K.? 
well, I can't imagine the numbers are that great uh, over here. I mean, it's something to watch, I guess, Dan, but there's nothing like watching live sports at the no, moment. No, I'm not saying that, but even as a, you know, we, you and I were at Sportsnet, Craig, when they had the lockout. And we didn't have a lot of good, I mean, they just replayed the entire NBA, uh, NBA run of the Raptors last year, the playoff run. And I had buddies on Facebook saying, I'm still loving this. You know, like they watched every game and our buddy Gladman, who was on a couple uh, last week, he's live tweeting, he's getting shout outs, all that kind of stuff. So I'm still interested to see how well like a replay, you know, full, full, full run playoff run, how it does. But now they're going to do the World Series. They showed, uh, you know, their classic game of the Raptors, classic game of the Blue Jays. Probably Leafs are going to come up soon, you know, just to keep it going. What are they doing in UK, Murph? Yeah, well, we're trying to make the best of a bad situation, obviously. And that's what you're, you're saying there. Like, if, if your best content in this landscape with no live sports is obviously the NBA Finals, then show it, and hopefully people will get on board. Um, I'm with Craig, though. There's nothing like the live aspect. But for us here, and if any of you want to retweet it, at Murph on Ice, we're starting a stunt uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday. We're going to have an appointment to view hockey every Tuesday and Wednesday through all of April and May. Tuesday will be international stuff like the Spengler Cup that I did uh, in Davos uh, last Christmas, the Team GB Olympic qualifiers in Nottingham. And then on Wednesdays, we're going to show our entire uh, Elite Ice Hockey League season, so all 12 games that we got in. So Tuesday is like international international hockey. Wednesday is domestic hockey. And we're hoping that there will be some ratings because as a live sports channel, we're like, whether it's TSN or Sportsnet, whatever your level is, we're struggling right now. Not struggling, but we're, we're without without live sport. Our business model and our day to day has changed. So again, at Murph on Ice, if Craig Forrest and James Sharm want to retweet that to any of their fans over here in the UK, maybe we'll get some new eyes on on ice hockey. You'd be surprised, you know, strange bedfellows and all that. Um, but. Yeah, we're, we're trying to get our hockey, our best hockey out that we had before the cancellation. We're trying to get it out again. And we're trying to make that appointment of view uh, every Tuesday and Wednesday night at 8 p.m. So people don't even have to think about it. They just know Tuesday is hockey night, Wednesday is hockey night. Well, Murph, uh, Footy Prime is not strangers to shameless plugs. So we're all on board for that. <laughs> well, look, I mean, it's part of the business. Uh, I learned from the best, eh? Jim, James Sharman is pretty good at self, uh, shameless self-promotion. Um, so we had to get that in there. Hey Murph, do you travel to any of the games, or do you go go to the World Championships at all? And and what are the differences for you calling games off the monitor doing hockey? Because we do it with football, soccer. We've done it a lot, and there are some challenges to it. It's nothing like being at the event. How is it for ice hockey? That's a great question, mate. I I worked. You guys all know Paul Romanuk, of course, or Jimmy. You you grew up listening to Paul Romanuk do the World Juniors, like I did. I worked with Paul many years ago on the KHO when I worked at ESPN in London or ESPN America when ESPN had the, the, the football rights as well, the Premier League rights. And Paul and I did a bunch of KHL during the lockout. It was the first time I'd ever done a game off monitor. Now, he did the play-by-play and I did the, the color. And he said to me, if you can master this, this will be the toughest skill you ever, ever learn because doing hockey off a monitor is literally like, I don't know, like your brain is like a bowling alley. There's so much going on. And to comprehend what's going on, uh, you're at the mercy of a director and different leagues cut hockey games differently. The KHL, I mean, it's crazy. But so I, I took that on board. And over the years, I practiced and I learned. Uh, to answer your question, I traveled to the to the EIHL game. So I traveled around the UK for all that. I was I do travel to the world championships. Certainly when I do Olympic stuff, I go to the Olympics. But 
Uh, last year, probably the highlight of my career, weirdly enough, uh, was last year in Kosice in Slovakia. I like to be in the broadcast booth early. I like to have my coffee. I like to make sure that the internet's working. I have everything I need to do, and then I can just watch the warm-up and get ready to go. And I looked up at the, the jumbo screen or the jumbotron in uh, Kosice at the Steel Arena, and it had all the automated Canada flags and the Great Britain flags. And I, and I had to pinch myself because I'm looking up and I'm going, never in my wildest dreams did I think I'd be calling Canada versus Great Britain. Like these, these British boys who play for Great Britain and play in the EIHL who become my friends. Uh, well, not friends. I mean, I'm a broadcaster, but I can go up and talk to them about uh, what's going on. And they're about to go out against some of the best players in the world uh, <laughs> at the world championships. And I'm doing it on TV in the UK and Ireland. I mean, how surreal is that? So yeah, traveling to those things is, is such a pleasure and such an honor. Uh, stuff like the Spengler cup is just special, isn't it? And, and, and certainly the world championships. Um, but it's so much harder to do it off a monitor. It's such a luxury to be at the arena, to be able to see what's happening behind the plate, to see if someone goes down the tunnel and go, well, I think he's hurt, he's blocked a shot, whereas you're depending on a director if you're off monitor. And I guess the big, the, the biggest challenge for ice hockey off a monitor, that's very European of me, I call it ice hockey. The biggest challenge is, you're, you know, every 45 seconds, there's five new guys on the ice, right? Whereas, it, you know, I, I did some rugby league off monitor, it wasn't so bad because it's the same guys on the field unless there's an injury, and then it's quite obvious. So mastering that skill of off-tube hockey has been certainly a challenge, and the KHL I do off too because there's places in the KHL. I mean, there's 17 time zones in the KHL. It would take you three days to get to some places, so it's not cost-effective. Uh, Champions hockey, like I usually travel to some that are that are easy to travel to. So when you're doing it off monitor, it's a de- different set of skills. And I've had other analysts come in and join me to do stuff off tube, and they go, how do you do this? Like, how, how are we going to get through this? This is three hours of hell. And once you get into it, it, it gets into a rhythm, but there's nothing like being there and – moments like that looking up and seeing the canadian flag and the british the gb flag you know one hour at the face off and you're going this is again it's it's cool running stuff and uh it's been a real pleasure to do stuff like that and i can't wait to get back to it you know what murph there's uh probably people listening right now who are pinching themselves that the same guy that was pouring them pints the cloak and dagger at spadina and college 15 years ago is now calling canada against gb they can't believe it either like that guy yeah, made made a career for himself in Europe yeah. calling hockey games. I mean, it's not right, really. You should be dead. You're not. Yeah. You're very lucky. So should you? You were the one drinking on the other side of the bar. <laughs> I know. Right, you know, yeah, we, we'd go there, you know, like seven thirty, eight night. Leave at three, four in the morning, and get a bill for fifteen dollars. It was, it was. We loved it. It was great. You were a fine bartender. <laughs> I don't know if the guy who owned that would would agree with you, but remember, I was working in TV. I took a year out to try and get into to Ontario Fire Services. I passed yeah. all the firemen's exams. I wanted to change. I passed all the firemen's exams. I was on a list in Ontario. I was trying to get in Toronto FD, and I just needed something. I didn't want to be in television and doing the the, the fire department stuff half ass. So I was bartending in that place, and it was so much fun. And that place became a bit legendary, not because of me, but because all of you idiots would come by. And all of a sudden, the place that was kind of a sleepy little boozer was heaving at the, at the seams until three in the morning because you guys all knew you'd get about 20 free drinks and uh, <laughs> and leave me zero tip, which is was, was most, most appreciated. And then I did it. I was waiting for about eight months. I got antsy and I didn't get the call from uh, Toronto FD or anywhere in Ontario. And I got a chance to move to Ireland. 
uh, to get back into television and to work for North American Sports Network, managing the NHL. And the rest, as they say, is history. So it was a short break for TV, a memorable break, although I can't remember all of it. But <laughs> that was that was my, my foray as a starving artist or a starving, hoping to get into the fire department, working as a barman. And uh, boy, oh boy, uh, yeah, that was crazy. I remember doing a St. Patrick's afternoon. I said, I'm not working the night. And all you guys came in to, to meet me at like five in the afternoon. So I worked from like noon to six on a St. Patrick's Day. I made $1,000 in tips. Not from us. No, you just came in to meet me and we moved on. And then in the next morning, I think I had $200 left. So somehow $800 missing as we went from pub to pub to pub in downtown Toronto. And, yeah. and those, those were good times. And you're right, we probably both should be dead. Yeah, probably, probably fun times for sure. Listen, pal. Dead, dead, inside, dead inside in many ways, perhaps, but yeah. <laughs> no, you've done well, mate. We're, we're all very proud of you. You've done really well. And uh, thanks so much for doing this. We're, we're running out of time here, but uh, keep fighting the good fight there. And, and I'm sure we'll be hearing your dulcet tones grace in the airwaves pretty soon. Let's hope so anyway. Well, hopefully so, man. And like I said earlier, if any of your uh, your viewers on that side are over, you can check out uh, Admir on Freeports on the your your hockey fix on this side of the uh, of the pond. It was a real pleasure. It only took twenty six episodes, but we got there. Nice to meet Craig. Uh, finally, tell Danny Dicchio, I'm really disappointed, but maybe maybe episode fifty four or something like that. Uh, yeah. Jeff and Dan, thanks for having me on. A pleasure. Thanks for coming on, man. All right, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, Craig, Dan, Jeff, anything you want to want to close up with here? Yeah, I, I would really. My last thing is, uh, I think uh, seeing Craig's underwear, I can't, I'm looking forward to Aaron Murphy giving that the call. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> oh my goodness! They're getting tight, I tell you. Would the, 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 the word diminutive get in there, maybe? A diminutive. <laughs> no, I want to be friends with Craig. I'm not going down that route. I mean, he's, he's been nothing but a gentleman this whole time, James. Don't try and start uh, start a fight where there's where there's no uh, no animosity. Yeah, exactly. Because when I go to Dublin, I want to go out in Temple Bar. Oh man, I I'll tell you a funny story. I lived in Temple Bar when I first moved over here. I had I had no idea, right? And and a guy I knew over here. So I got the job. The work visa was in place, and I was in the UK for a quick holiday. And then I was coming to Dublin to start work. And a guy I knew was like, okay, there's two apartments. There's one here. It's out in the middle of nowhere. And there's one in Temple Bar. The one in Temple Bar, you could walk to work. I said, yeah, great. And I wired him some money for the deposit, sorted. I arrived and I grew up in St. John's, Newfoundland. So I knew that George Street was a zoo. I knew what like those sort of small compacted bar areas are like. I rock up in my apartment. I pick up the keys. I meet the landlord in Temple Bar. It was like Mardi Gras in New Orleans or something. It was just a random Thursday night in Temple Bar. There were people swinging from the rafters and stuff. And I said, oh, my goodness, I, I, I'm going to be living here. I didn't sleep for three years. There was a guy outside my house who sang Wonderwall every night, a busker. Yeah. yeah. Until two, two, three in the morning. Charmin came and visited me there. I mean, we had so much fun. But yeah, it wasn't my longevity. Spending some, some days there, and it's like I mean, if you haven't been to the Temple Bar, you have to go there. It's just it's just something beyond you could you can't even describe it really. It's nonstop, twenty four hours a day. There's people puking, partying, dancing. Could be you know ten in the morning, someone stumbling out of a, a watering hole. It's brilliant. It really is. Is oh, it yeah, a I, I, bar? No, it's it's not. But people will will find the you know the after hours and stuff like that. So Temple Bar is itself. People kind of stream out and. 
and keep the party going. But like till three, four in the morning, uh, they'll keep serving. And I had, I mean, my apartment, my balcony looked at the Temple Bar, which is the big pub in Temple Bar. And uh, I had uh, the Stone Roses in my apartment one night. Um, I had the Leinster rugby team. I think Brian O'Driscoll was in my apartment one night. Uh, someone from Leinster put a foot through a plank in the wooden balcony. He was so big and he, he nearly like ripped his shin off. Uh, the guy, the lead singer of the Stone Roses, what's his name? Sure, Sean Ryder? No, that's Happy Mondays. Oh, Ian something or other. Yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah, the lead singer of the Stone Roses was stealing beer out of my fridge. I'm like, hey, come on. You could afford to run down to Spar and pick up a few cans. We'll let you back in. Well, yeah, like we had some crazy nights there. Um Oh my goodness, like people hanging off of balconies and trying to climb up the side of the building after pubs were let out. It was, we used to put a five euro note on a fishing line and three in the morning and watch drunks just run after the five euro note like it was blown in the wind. We used to take uh, two euro coins and super glue it to the cobble streets. And at one in the morning, you'd see drunks trying to, like, they couldn't pick it up. I mean, it was kind of, it was kind of like, yeah, it was kind of the cusp of social media. It's probably good there was no social media at the time because we were just doing stupid things. And these, can you imagine? T- I mean, that's tragic, isn't it? If you think about Temple Bar right now, you can only imagine it's just deserted. And how sad is that? It's tumbleweeds, man. Tumbleweeds, yeah. and they're millions of euro and a lot of work. There's there's two hundred two two hundred thousand people out of work in Ireland right now, and for a country of four million, that's a lot. And a lot of those people are in the service industry. So all jokes aside, it's it's crazy here right now in in, in a scary way. Well, good luck, brother, and uh, I'll talk to you soon, and we'll get back on this show for sure when things uh, brighten up and and the Hope day. That was okay, guys. Hope that was okay. You, you did a good job. Okay, we're still going. We haven't we haven't finished yet. I've got to go. I've got to go. I'm, I've Jeff, go, go Jeff has to play us out. Oh yeah, that's right. Jeff, you ready? I'm always ready. All right, play us out there, Cole. This has been Footy Prime the podcast. Where's the music? Oh. <laughs> Hold that. <thought. laughs> yeah, fucked up. Okay. All right. <laughs> And oh, I have an error. Just pretend the music's on again. <laughs> this has been Footy Prime, the podcast. We'd like to thank our guest, Aaron On Ice Murphy Murph Murph, all the way from <laughs> Ireland. <laughs> Murphy Murph Murph. <laughs> We'd like to yeah, thank yeah. Charmin Jimmy Charmin, Craig the Tree Trunk Forest, and MIA Danny Dickio. For Dan the Wang Wong and myself, Jeff, not wearing pants as well, Cole. See you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.